Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch. I am Robert Cunningham, and this is the second part of a little two-part series on some concluding reflections from my 16 years of pastoral ministry. I am moving into a different role focused on Christian public work here in Kentucky, and I'll be detailing all of that in upcoming podcasts, but I did want to pause and offer some reflections from my time as pastor. This is not the normal content you're used to on this podcast. I completely understand that, but I did want to just publicly journal, I guess you could say, uh, some reflections that I hope will be helpful to pastors and churches. In the first part, I did speak to the pastors and church leaders. Now in this episode, I want to direct my attention to the congregational side of things. Now, I said in the last podcast that I didn't feel comfortable sharing quote-unquote successes I had in ministry, so instead I shared some mistakes that I made, hoping that others would learn from them. Well, in this episode, I have no problem bragging about my former congregation. Uh, Taste Creek Presbyterian Church isn't a perfect church, but it was the perfect church for me as a pastor, and I am eternally grateful for the way they loved and supported me. And I say that up front because I didn't want anyone to hear what I'm about to say as a uh, passive-aggressive dig at TCPC. What I'm going to share, they embodied in so many ways, and I hope that will come out as I discuss this. Now, what I want to do is what I did with the last podcast and share some unique reflections I've had as I've processed things. There are some obvious ones that I think congregations uh, should be doing. You should absolutely be praying for your pastor. You should be volunteering. You should be tithing. You should prioritize weekly attendance and worship. You should give your pastor a sabbatical. I recorded an entire podcast on that. All of these things are very true, and I don't want to minimize their significance. But the way I think I could be most helpful is to share some reflections and encouragements that maybe you haven't thought about as much. So some unique thoughts for the laity. Again, like last time, no rhyme or reason. Just as I've thought about things, these are some random ones that have risen to the surface that I think would be helpful for me to share. First, I do want to offer a brief thought in response to something I said in the previous podcast, and it's this. Make your positive opinions known. And by positive opinion, I'm not talking about positive encouragements to your pastor. We're going to get to that in a moment. I'm talking about your opinions on the church, the vision, the direction, decisions, things like that. When I was talking to pastors, I said it's important to listen to the silent majority as much, if not more, than the vocal minority. The idea being that if they aren't offering feedback, then you should just assume that they're supportive. Because as a general rule, only those with negative opinions tend to express them. Well, now that I'm talking to the congregants, I want to challenge you to break that stereotype and make your positive feedback known. And the reason I say that is less about encouragement, though positive feedback is always encouraging to leadership. But even more than encouragement, it really does go a long way in ensuring that a church's direction is not beholden to a small, discontent minority. Church members have a reputation for critical opinions, but in my experience, that's actually not true. The majority are happy and supportive. They're just not expressing it. 
And I'm just telling you from personal experience, as much as your pastor doesn't want to lead according to negative feedback, it's very hard not to do so in the absence of supportive feedback. So what I'm suggesting is you can help the leadership of your church by vocalizing what you just assume they know, but I don't think you should make that assumption. Counterbalance the critical feedback with supportive feedback so they have a truer picture of the perspective of the congregation. Something as small as a little note, just saying, I I wanted you to know I fully support you in this, whatever this is that is going on in your church. A small line like that in an email or a comment like that in person will go so far. And even if you don't have a strong opinion on things, express that too. Just wanted you to know that I totally trust you and I'm good with whatever you decide on this. And here's the thing. When you are a person who consistently does this, if there ever is a time for constructive or even negative feedback from you, I can promise it will hold so much weight if there is a history of supportive feedback. The people I listened to the most on important decisions were those who had established a history of positivity and support. Every congregation has a few folks who, for whatever reason, are just contrarians. No matter what's going on, they have pushback. And it's not like you should just dismiss those voices. But I'll tell you what truly gave me pause and always made me reassess things. When folks who consistently expressed their support offered pushback. I can think of one time when I was totally convinced of a direction to take. And a guy who was one of my most supportive members called me up with some thoughtful pushback. And I went a completely different direction based upon that one conversation. So anyway, this is a small thing, but I did want to include it because of what I said in my previous podcast. Pastors should not give undue weight to negative feedback, but you can help your pastor by offering consistent positive feedback. Now that's regarding good old-fashioned church opinions. The next thought I want to share has to do with encouragement of your pastor specifically. When I did record the podcast on the importance of a sabbatical for your pastor, I discussed at length the unique cross that your pastor is asked to bear. And you can go back and listen to that to understand the difficulties of the pastorate. Now, when I spoke to the pastors, I admonished them not to let those difficulties lead them down the road of self-pity. And that's true. I don't care how hard things get for the pastor. Self-pity is never the right response. But now that I'm speaking to congregants, I want to talk about the whole notion of encouraging your pastor. I welcome the refinement that is taking place in American Christianity where finally abusive, oppressive, domineering, name your toxic adjective, pastoral leadership is receiving the reckoning it deserves. Amen and amen. For too long, we have tolerated narcissism in the ministry. And if you are at a church with pastors like that, get out. Do not submit to toxic pastoral leadership. But having said that, for every harmful pastor out there, There are countless other good pastors struggling, stumbling, battling doubts, insecurities, uncertainty, fears, and on and on I could go. Please listen to me. 
Nobody is a bigger critic of your pastor than your pastor. Nobody could list the failures of your church more than the pastor of your church. Nobody criticizes the sermon on Sunday afternoon more than the one who preached the sermon that morning. If you think congregations are hard on the pastor, you should talk to the pastor. One of the benefits of God's blessing on my time as a pastor is I do think it uniquely positions me to make this point. So I won't list them because it wouldn't be appropriate, but when you look at the common ministry metrics of my time in pastoral ministry, there is so much to celebrate. And yet even still, if you knew the insecurities, the self-doubt, the fears, the shame over my own hypocrisy, if you could only crawl into this crazy headspace of mine and see what I battle. I don't know what it is or why it is. Spiritual warfare, the weight of the calling, the uniqueness of opening yourself up to so much scrutiny. I don't know what it is. It's probably a combination of all of these things, but it is real. Pastors are so stinking hard on themselves. Now, it's our job to fight that, to preach the gospel to ourselves as much as we preach it to others, to repent of self-pity and all that I discussed in the last podcast. But I'm telling you, I don't care how confident your pastor presents themselves. They need your encouragement. And I want to tell you how to encourage them. Avoid generalities and get very specific. Generalities go to the pastor's head. Specifics go to their heart. So general statements like, great sermon. You're such a great preacher. Thanks for being a great pastor. Comments like that, though well-intended, tend to puff up a pastor and present a false narrative that they are something special. That's not the encouragement your pastor needs. But specific words of encouragement encourages the pastor rightly by humbling them, pointing them to the work of God, and inspiring them that God is actually at work despite their meager efforts. So let me show you what I mean. My primary role at TCPC was preaching, and so often the encouragement I received had something to do with my sermons. And I'm sure there was negative talk about my preaching out there that didn't get to me often. Some of it did, but I'm sure there was more criticism of my preaching that never came to me. But fairly regularly, I got a lot of amazing sermon comments. But then on occasion, I got more. Someone would say something like, when you said this in your sermon, I believed for the first time that God loved me. When you made that application, I decided to finally be honest and get serious about this sin issue in my life. Not the generic great sermon, but the specific way that God used that sermon in their life. And not not only was I far more encouraged by the specifics, it didn't allow me to get puffed up into thinking I'm some great preacher because the specifics were beyond my homiletic talents The specifics were clearly the work of God's Spirit. I didn't respond to the encouragement by thinking my sermon was great. I responded by thinking, I can't believe God did that with the sermon I was second-guessing. So yes, your pastor needs encouragement. But going deeper, your pastor needs to know the specifics of how God is using their ministry in your life. Okay, next random thought for you. Help your pastor 
with what I would argue is the most challenging form of diversity in every congregation, generational diversity. Diversity in a local church is an important goal. And I know people get frustrated with how monolithic their congregations tend to be. But I tell people all the time that an underappreciated form of diversity that most congregations are having to navigate is the tension of generational diversity. There is no other organization where older people and younger people are trying to do life together. And it's really, really hard. You take boomers and Gen Z and place them together in covenant fellowship, that's not easy. And caught in the middle of the massive generational divide is your pastor. And typically, when I talk about generational diversity, typically that means older folks and younger folks, but it also can mean uh, generational diversity in time spent in the congregation. So people who have been there for many years and newcomers. That's, that's another form of generational diversity that plays out in churches. But typically, it's the older folks of the church and the younger folks in the church. And I can promise you, that's probably the source of one of your pastor's greatest stresses. The older fear change, the younger are pressing for change. The older are concerned with guarding orthodoxy, the younger are concerned about lack of social action. The older are complaining about kids these days. The younger are complaining about out-of-touch old people. And then don't get even get me into the worship wars between these two. Generational diversity is so difficult to navigate. And I think in this one specific area, you could really, really bless your pastor. And here's how. Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So Paul is urging for church unity, but his pathway is not uniformity. Instead, it's challenging the diversity of opinions and interests to die to their own, by considering others more important than themselves. What if the older ask the pastor to prioritize the interests of the younger, and the younger ask the pastor to prioritize the interests of the older? Instead of a competition within the congregation of who could get their preferences met, a competition over who could die to their preferences more. You want to bless your pastor? That will do it. Let me show you what I mean with two examples from my church that honestly did this so well. TCPC is a very traditional church. Robes, liturgies, choirs, all that good stuff. Which I love, by the way. But when I was called a senior pastor, our worship was difficult for younger folks and newcomers to our church. Those trends have changed, by the way. Our youth are actually now more drawn to historic worship practices, which is a discussion for another podcast. But early on in my ministry, it was it was a real struggle for teens, college students, young adults, and so forth. And regularly, I would get requests for, you know, more modern songs, instruments other than the organ, things like that. It was a big issue 10 years ago. Well, I will never forget a conversation I had with a college student. He pulled me aside after the service, and he said, this is the first church I've ever attended with 
quote-unquote traditional worship. And I thought to myself, okay, here we go. But then he floored me. He said, listen, it's not really my thing. The organ's loud. I can't read music in the hymnal. I'm trying, but this is just not what I'm used to. But then he said, man, there was a sweet older couple in the pew in front of me, and they were singing together. They clearly loved it, and I loved watching them love it. So I just wanted you to know that I'm sure you get college students complaining about the music, but it meant so much to watch them sing, and eventually I'm going to learn to love the worship here too. That's what I'm talking about. That's Philippians 2. Another example on the other end of the spectrum from an older member of our church. A TCPC called me a senior pastor at a young age, and not surprisingly, there was some concern is probably too strong a word, maybe apprehension or, or even just curiosity from some older membership who loved me, but what would it mean for the church to have a pastor who could be their grandchild? Is he going to just come in and remake everything, throw out all of our traditions? Will I be forgotten? Natural questions like that. Well, an older long-term member asked to meet with me to share some thoughts. Again, I'm thinking, here we go. But this is what she said, probably my favorite pastoral conversation I've ever had. She said, I don't want you to think about me. I don't want you to think about what I would want. I've lived a great life. I love the Lord. I love this church and nothing's going to change that. Then she looked me in the eyes with the utmost sincerity and said, you go build a church that my grandchildren will want to attend. That's all I ask. Don't think about me. Think about my grandchildren. I just, with tears in my eyes, I hugged her. It was so encouraging and empowering. This is what I mean with helping your pastor with the complexities of generational diversity. And by the way, this is, this is still true for churches without generational diversity. There are some churches with older folks who wish so badly there were youth in the congregation. And there are younger congregations that wish for older folks. At least they should wish for that. What I'm saying still applies. If you're only one demographic and want to grow in another, then you're going to have to die to the preferences of the demographic present in order to welcome others who are not currently there. And then just one last caveat to this before I move on to my next point. In the generational competition to die to preferences in favor of others, I want to encourage the older generation to win that competition. Take what that older saint said to me and give that gift to your pastor. The next generation must always be the focus of the church, and I want to encourage you to empower your pastor with the freedom to do just that. This is where my church was just exceptional. The older members loved and celebrated a packed nursery, teens and college students, young families. Nothing brought them greater joy, and I never felt restricted from dreaming about reaching the next generation. And I would encourage older friends listening to give that to your pastor. Empower them to reach the next generation. Okay, last random reflection for you. And this one, I think, has risen to become just enormous in nearly every church. Critique the algorithm according to your pastor, not the other way around. So we have talked at length on this podcast, and we will continue to discuss it because it's so central to life in our world these days. 
but chances are you are currently living in an algorithmic reality. You are the customer of the internet, which means information has now been monetized for you, the consumer. And what's good for business is to feed you ideology that believes what you believe, loves what you love, hate what you hate. You exist within a reinforced echo chamber. But in contrast, the pastorate is prophetic in nature. Rather than appeasing you, the pastor's job is to challenge you with words from Holy Scripture inspired by God with the very purpose of disagreeing with you. Now, the pastor needs to be loving, gracious, humble, and always gospel-centered in their prophetic work. But listen, their job as an ordained minister is to disagree with you at times. And so we come to a dilemma, a massive dilemma in American Christianity right now. You've got the algorithms echoing your beliefs and practices versus your pastor challenging your beliefs and practices. And for many Christians, the algorithm is winning that contest. So many Christians approach their church and church leadership through the lens of their favorite pundit, podcaster, social media, influencer, or even another pastor at another church that they listen to online and really like. The algorithm is critiquing your pastor and church rather than the other way around. And I'm telling you, on behalf of your pastor, it is exhausting at best and downright defeating at worst. The number one frustration I hear vocalized by pastors these days is they simply cannot compete with the discipleship of media and the liturgies of the algorithm. Christians are viewing their pastor through the lens of their pundit rather than their pundit through the lens of their pastor. So please allow me to speak on your pastor's behalf very candidly. Your pundit does not know you. Your pastor does. Your pundit does not love you. Your pastor does. Your pundit does not pray for you. Your pastor does. Your pundit doesn't lose sleep at night over your hardships. Your pastor does. Your pundit isn't there for you. Your pastor will show up with a hug and prayer, rejoice with you in your joys and weep with you in your pain, visit you in the hospital, read to you the scriptures as you near your death, and lay you to rest in a grave with promises of a resurrection. Of course, whatever voices are fed to you by the algorithm will tickle your ears. They make money doing so. And of course, your pastor will disagree with you at times. They were ordained by God to do so. But you don't need your ears tickled. You need a pastor. Please, you're submitting yourself to something. Let it not be the algorithm. Let it be the church and its ordained leadership. Yes, your church and your pastor have their faults and failures, but at the end of the day, your church and your pastor love you and have been ordained by Almighty God to care for you. Let them do their job. Trust them to do their job. If they have proven that they are not trustworthy, then find a pastor you can trust. But whatever you do, don't let the algorithm pastor you. Let a pastor pastor you.
Okay, I think that's more than enough. Uh, thanks for listening as always. I, again, I realize these two episodes are not the normal content I usually offer on the podcast, but I did want to uh, journal some concluding thoughts I had from my time in church ministry. The next time I record an episode, it will be to introduce my new work, of which this podcast will be a big part. I'm really excited about what God has before me, and I will do my best to explain it all on the next episode of Every Square Inch. Thank you.